they called him the, the, uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That was his nickname. And he was musically gifted. He could play a number of instruments. He had a beautiful voice. Um, and, and yet he had something to sing about. Oftentimes you'll hear people who are gifted with amazing voices that have nothing to sing about because their lives are just void of anything meaningful. Uh, in this case, David had lots to sing about, and he had this un- uncanny ability of taking intense situations and making them songs that people would sing. As a matter of fact, when you, when you take a look at his life um, with his confessions that you'll see as we get further on with his sin with Bathsheba, uh, David wrote a song that basically was his confession that was on hit radio and all the people would be singing it. Uh, could you imagine all your dirty laundry being a hit song uh, in the city and everyone singing it? And that was, that was David. He understood the quickest way for people to grasp something was through music. Um, I, I, I'm 48 years old and I can still remember in 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty message. We took a little bacon and we took a little bit. Can anyone remember any of those stupid songs? Eight, six, seven, five, three. I don't know whose number that is, but I remember it. Yeah. And so, so songs have an amazing way of, of helping you remember things. As a matter of fact, even Psalm 119, which is a song which was to be sung by children, was an acrostic uh, of the Jewish alphabet. And so it was all intended for memorization uh, and growth and understanding who God is and how He operates in the lives of His children. Uh, this evening, we're going to pick up in Psalm 3, and this is the first psalm uh, in the entire book of Psalms that has a title. And these titles um, were in the Septuagint, and so they're, they're existent, and they're, they're to be taken, uh, not lightly, they're to be taken very seriously. And the title on this one is, it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. When David f- fled from Absalom, his son. Now let me just stop there for a minute, because um, I want to set the stage for this psalm that David wrote this when he fled from his son, Absalom. David at the time was very old. Uh, he wasn't a spry cookie anymore, and uh, he, was, he was old and gray. He was old and bent and gray and old, as the Johnny Cash song says. A boy named Sue. Anyways, it's another one I remember. You don't, yeah. My daddy left home when I was three and didn't leave much from on me, just this old guitar. Let's get back to the text. So... And uh, he's running from his son, and he's in a lot of trouble because at this time, David's had many attempts to attack his kingdom, but this one is going to be legitimate. It looks like Absalom's going to get his way. Absalom was a spoiled, rotten, silver spoon-fed... I have more than... I'm not going to end with child. He, uh, he, He was so enamored with himself. self love self-focus, um, self-esteem just oozing from him, and, and uh, wanted nothing to do with his parents, was totally ingratiated in the culture. Uh, it says that he would ride his chariot up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's about as big as Avalon is in Catalina. And that would be like, at the time, I mean, I'm talking the size, it would be like driving a, a Ferrari in Avalon. <laughs> Oh, he's got a Ferrari, a Ferrari and Avalon, worthless. And that's the chariot in Jerusalem. I just thought I'd share that with you. But that's, he wanted everyone to see that he had the bling. He had the bling. And he just, is, it speaks of his hair flowing, and, and he ends up getting caught in a tree with his hair stuck, and he's stabbed to death. Lovely picture there. But this is a viable uh, attempt to attack the throne. And I want you to turn, uh, keep your place in Psalm 3, but turn with me to second, uh, excuse me, second Samuel chapter 15. We're going to take a look at it tonight because I want, I want to um, 
set the stage for you. Anyone discouraged today by the rulings? No, just really, show of hands. Anyone discouraged by the rulings? Okay. All right. Well, I, I knew DOMA was going down, but I really was shocked by the Proposition 8. And here we are, and, um, you know, our, our, our founding fathers rebelled against England because of judicial tyranny. And here we are again in that same place that the will of the people is no longer important. No longer important. It's a sad day. We're watching rights erode rapidly before our eyes. And I was talking with someone today. I said, you know, um, this isn't an issue about homosexuality. This is, a, this is an issue about the, the Constitution. This is an issue about our form of government as a representative form of government. And, um, and debating truth. It was Winston Churchill used to say, America is different from Europe because Europe is a vie for power and America was always a pursuit of truth. But he says that's changing. And today it's all a pursuit of power. It's, it's no longer debating truth on the Senate floor or the House or the Senate or, or a president vying for that and, and competing with the House and debating that and having dialogue between two parties. Now it's just basically one party melding in together and... Um, and we're doing anything we can to buy votes and to keep them into authority. And so now all the powers shifted, though we had a three-party, uh, th- three-segment uh, of government, uh, legislative, executive, and judicial branches, checks and balance because our founding fathers understood the sin nature of man. And, and they knew that there needed to be a check and balance. And here we have the judicial branch of government, which is unelected but appointed for life, is now legislating from the bench in, in profound ways that override the will of the people. And we no longer have a representative form of government. Because a handful of men and women can decide by judicial fiat whatever it is they, they want. And so 3 to 5% of the population of America no longer has this ability to operate. And you say, well, why are you a homophobe? I'm not a homophobe. That's not an issue to me. There's, there's more sin represented in this room than there... Than, yeah, it, we're all sinners saved by grace. The issue is religious freedom and a debate for truth. And so when we argue our points and we stand before each other and we come and we reason together to come to a consensus and an understanding to legislate that in our communities and we vote for that, now by judicial tyranny it's overridden and so all of a sudden what is now said is we will define for you what marriage is even though... You, you have a logical argument and you can place that. And legislatively, the people agree with you. We will override you. And so I, I will tell you, it's not going to be long before there will be a demand to remain silent in the teaching of, of marriages between a man and a woman. I'll give you a perfect example. Some of you say, oh, that'll never happen. Really? Really, would, would you ever imagine that we would enslave human beings based on the color of their skin and the Supreme Court would make it legal and more than 70% of Americans would agree as such? Could you ever fathom that? I don't care if the Supreme Court legalized it. It's wrong. It was wrong then, it's wrong now, and it will always be wrong. And it doesn't matter if it's usurped or any of those things happen. It's irrelevant. God is on the throne. Nothing changes. But, and I add that, that caveat, not to erase what went before, but to say this. You going to quit? Is it just too much for you? 
Because I got news for you. It's going to get ugly for Christians. And I was telling a friend, put on your big boy pants and put your belt buckle on. Let's get busy. Because no longer are you going to be able to skate through life and be a closet Christian. You're going to be called on. And it's no longer going to be about your welfare. It's going to be about defending what is right. No matter what it costs. And greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. The reason why I say this is there couldn't have been a more troubling time in David's life than at this moment. There couldn't have been a more troubling time in the life of David than in this moment. There couldn't have been a more troubling time in the history of Israel than at this moment. There was a young man who was usurping all of the power of Israel, and all he was was a Hollywood boy. He had no credentials, no backing. He was just handsome. That was it. He was just handsome. And everybody thought he was handsome, and it was such a debased culture at the time, and they had so abandoned the Lord that they were enamored with this young guy. Look at the car he drives and the clothes he wears and the hairstyle he has. Ooh. And all of a sudden, David is old and gray and fading, and he's a fuddy-duddy. And let's get rid of him. So in 2 Samuel 15, all the way through chapter 18, this is what's happening in Psalm 3 when David is writing. Let me show you 2 Samuel 15. After this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him, and Absalom would rise early and stand beside the gate He would just go on to ingratiate himself to all the people, and the people loved him, and he started to steal the hearts of the people. And that's what's happened, folks. Let me tell you how you steal the hearts of the people. You ready? Give them something they didn't earn. And the people who work hard, just take it from them until you exhaust them and destroy them. As long as you can keep your base going and promise everyone everything. And and, and a government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing free. It's not free health care. It's not free. So stupid that we would buy that lie. It's not free. Open up your paycheck. Has it, has it hit yet? And in this insanity, is they're giving away things, this is Absalom. He's at the city gate giving everything away to, to win the hearts of the people. And David, people are saying, you've got to do something about it. But it's his kids. I tell you what, there's a whole generation of Christians that didn't raise their kids properly, and now they're all liberal, and they're like, and when I say liberal, I'm not talking Democrat, Republican. I'm talking about walking away from the principles of the Lord and not learning how to have civic discipleship to apply the principles of the Lord in the workplace, in, in, in government. And as Christians, we've moved out of government. We don't even want, oh, no, that's all. Where did that come from? And we're watching it all implode before our very eyes. And Absalom... Now Hollywood runs the show. And that's what you call him. Just call him Hollywood. Don't call him Absalom. And he stole the hearts. It says in verse 6, So Absalom stole the hearts of all the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay my vow which I have made to the Lord. I want to make this a religious issue. I want to go to Hebron and I want to show everybody that I, 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 I need some religious validation. Let me say that again. I need some religious validation. Because I know that we're a religious society and I need to be validated religiously. So I need to go to Hebron. That's where they do the anointing. And I want to offer sacrifice. Okay, stop for a minute. Here's why I'm struggling with Proposition 8. Marriage is a religious term. It's not a governmental term. Civil unions is. I knew DOMA was going to go down. That, That makes sense because they're contending for civil unions. And they're allowed to do that in the government. 
and if that's the will of the people, but a religious issue, then we have to remove the First Amendment because now they're going to tell me what marriage is and isn't, and I no longer have freedom of religion. So you're going to remove one, but you can't, you can't have one without the other. That's why Proposition 8 is so troubling to me. We're losing our freedoms. This, this sermon, in 10 years, I will be preaching in prison. Okay, good. We'll have a party. But here it is, is it said, I'm sorry, what? No, no, let me, let me just stay with it, Robert. Let me, hang on. I'm going to preach it, buddy. I'll give you a pulpit later. Come on. All right. I know, I know. You'll, you'll fight with me. But let me get to this, because I'll lose my train of thought, because I'm stupid that way. Uh, please let me go to Hebron, pay my vow, which I made to the Lord. See, marriage, it's the validation. Yeah? What does the scripture say? I mean, it's pretty clear. A man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. The scripture says it. Now, there's two options you have. Either deny the scriptures and challenge their authenticity and throw them out, which they've attempted to do, and it's, there's, their scholarship is ridiculous. Or suppress it and say it's no longer allowed to be spoken. And that's happening. Can't do it in schools anymore. We'll shut the microphone off if you're valedictorian and you want to say anything about the Lord. Okay? So you're either going to scholarship, try to stifle it, which they've been doing for years and they can't, or you're just going to shut it off and silence it and burn it. Zeke Heil. Okay? And so in this picture, what you have with Absalom is he's saying, validate me. Validate me. You take every institution in America that has validity, institutions that are hundreds of years old. Here's a good one. Let's take Boy Scouts. Hundred years this, this has been raising boys to be morally straight, right? Now we validate by saying, no, you can no longer exist unless you validate us with your organization. And we demand it, or we will shut you down. You think if they're going to do it to the Boy Scouts, do you think they're going to do it to the church? Of course they will. And so, this is Absalom. I need to be validated. So he goes up for the validation. Now, do, do they care about the Boy Scouts of America? And do they care about marriage? And do they care about it? No, it has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with marriage. It has nothing to do with the Boy Scouts. It has to do with validation. No matter what it costs, you need to tell me I'm okay. And so what happens here is he goes up to do this, and immediately his purposes come about. It says, verse 10, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem. They went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from the city of uh, Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. All of a sudden, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, we said we just wanted marriage. And yeah, we just said we wanted to be in the Boy Scouts. But you know what? We don't want you anywhere. We want you shut down. And you're no longer invited in the kingdom because we rule and we have the guns. And you're finished. And you go, oh, wait, what? And here's a, here's a kicker, Ahithophel. Anybody see Exodus International, the lead guy in Exodus International? Yeah, uh, Alan Chambers. 
head guy of, he came out of the homosexual lifestyle, became the head of Exodus International, helping homosexuals come out of the gay lifestyle. He has now come out to say, uh, I, what, what I've done for all these years is wrong, and we embrace the homosexual community, and Exodus International's methods are wrong, and I reject those. And not, he didn't add this, that it, he was losing support, there was no funding, and he's just a limelight guy. But anyways, that was the problem. And I, I can't tell you how many emails I got from people. Who, you, did you see this? Obviously, your position in, in Christianity is wrong. Okay, thank you. You're going to get Ahithophel's siding with Absalom's. And you, you think that these guys are the pillars of the community. And Ahithophel, the scripture says of Ahithophel, when he spoke, it was as though the mouth of God himself were speaking. Ahithophel was David's most trusted counselor. Absalom rebels, starts to take over the kingdom, and Ahithophel bails on David and says, I'm going with Absalom. I don't know about you, but that's awful. Ahithophel, David's most trusted counselor, when he spoke, it was though the mouth of God himself were speaking, he's now siding with Absalom. Why would anyone do that? Why would this Alan Chambers guy do that? I don't know. But what happens is David begins to run for his life, and as he's running, you're going to see in other portions of Scripture. I won't go verse by verse in in these three chapters, but Shimei comes out and starts to curse David and mock him and spit on him, and he's throwing dirt at him, actually dung. He's telling him to just curse God and die, and you're worthless, and and why do you even bother? And wait till Absalom gets to town. When Absalom gets to town, Ahithophel says, this is what you're going to do. Let's seal this rebellion. Let's kill David. And this is the counsel that you got to do. I want you to go up and I want you to take David's concubines, put them on the roof of the palace, and I want you to sleep with all of them in front of all the people. That'll seal the deal. Just desecrate everything of your fathers. Just let them know. Just, Just burn the bridges. And then Ahithophel says, and then let me with a handful of men chase David because he's tired and old. And when we find him, I won't kill anyone but David. I'll run him through. Let me kill him. And, and you know what David's doing the whole time? David hears. He's running for his life. He's crossing the brook, brook Kidron. He's running for his life. David begins to pray. Now, how many of you today, when you saw the rulings, you oh, and all the depression, he started to eat bonbons and everything. Wait, wait, wait. How many of us fell on our knees and started praying? Amen. And the idea is David begins to pray. And the fervent faithful prayers of a righteous man accomplish great things. And he says this one thing. He says, God, would you thwart the counsel of Ahithophel? Would you stop the counsel of Ahithophel? And, and as he prays that, David sends another counselor, Hushai, to go and counteract the counsel of Ahithophel. Ahithophel says to Absalom, here's the plan. Let me take a handful of guys and I'll go and kill David. I'll run him through and you sleep with the concubines and let's just do this. And, and, and Absalom sleeps with the concubines, but he says, I'm not sure. He says, let me check with Hushai. He says, Hushai, what should I do? And Hushai says, you know, David's wily. He's probably already in the mountains and it'd be hard for Ahithophel to find him. I'll tell you what, why don't you do this? Um, why don't you wait until all the armies amass with you, Okay. And then get all the armies behind you. And then you ride in front of this glorious army and come in and take Jerusalem. And then let the people wipe out any remaining uh, rebels. But, but come with a grand army as the people surround you. And, and I'll tell you what, a, a picture like that, beautifully depicted by um, a wise man like Hushai, 
to an arrogant man like Absalom, he's taking it all in. I can see my hair flowing in the white steed that I'd be riding on. I can see it all, yes. And I will show my father who's king as I, oh, yes. I will be validated. So he rejects the counsel of Ahithophel, takes the counsel of Hushai. Now it says of Ahithophel, he looks at Absalom and he just goes, what an idiot. And he's disgusted by it. And he, he gets on his donkey and he rides home. And he gets to his house. And the scripture says that Ahithophel put his house in order and then hung himself. David wrote of Ahithophel in this rebellion. His heart was broken. There are going to be people in this room that will betray others in this room if it gets really ugly. It's the nature of who we are. There are days we wake up and we are not walking with the Lord. We're walking in the flesh and we operate by fear and we're all susceptible to it and we will betray one another in time if we're not walking with the Lord. It's just the nature of the thing. Everyone in the room has been betrayed before. I've had people live in my house who've dumped on me. I, I've, and, and here's what David wrote. He said of Ahithophel when he found out that he had sided with Absalom. He was just shocked before the Lord. He wrote this song, and it was a lament. And he just said, verse 12 of Psalm 55, he says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. I thought we worshiped together. I thought, I mean, you were with Exodus International and you, we served in the same. But David was crushed. Now, you've had a tough day, and the news has been difficult. But don't forget, you still got here, and you're opening the Scriptures, and you're rightly dividing them. And you're right where you should be in the presence of the Lord. But David's watching the entire kingdom being stolen. He's watching his son come against him, and his best friend and his highest counselor seek to destroy him. His his highest counselor and his closest friend tells his rebellious son to desecrate his home by sleeping with his wives on the roof. And David's old and has no ability to fight and he's crossing the book Kidron and what does he get? A face full of dirt from Shimei. And nobody's following him. It's a Wednesday night and the church is 57% full. As our nation crumbles before our eyes, there's no heart for a revival. There's not a crying out to God. That's where David was. It could have been more depressing. Now let's go to Psalm 3. It's taken a while to start this engine. Hang on. Psalm 3. Lord, how they've increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. Okay, listen. 
I don't know about you, but it seems to me like God is asleep at the wheel. Uh, just come on, work with me. If it was me, I would have overturned DOMA. I would have had all of the Supreme Court justices who voted against it or were going to vote against it have a heart attack. Who's with me? <laughs> Proposition 8, heart attack, right? I, I, I'm just saying I would do things a little differently than the Lord would. And that's, thank God, I'm not there. See, God's as interested in seeing them come about as he is us. And he also wants to see people who are seeking him no matter the situation. It's called a refiner's fire. It's easy to follow the Lord when the sun's rising and the sun's setting and the birds are singing. But put yourself behind bars and see what you do. And he says, but you, O Lord. First of all, David said, this is what they did to me. He said that in verses 1 and 2. And then verses 3 and 4, he says, this is what God did for David. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Did you know that? Did you hear that? God's listening. God's listening. He's a lifter of our head. One of the greatest things that you can take with you in a time of trial is to know that he knows, and that's to know enough. He knows. It's not a shock to him. Put it in his hands and go to bed. Quit worrying about it. He's the lifter of your head. You're whining. You, you, I don't know, and your head's down. You're just crying. And he just comes over like a spouse to, to, to his wife and lifts her head and says, Honey. Or a child that stubbed their toe. They're crying. It's just awful, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I remember when Molly was crying. I said, Molly, look at me. Calm down. Lifter of our head. He just lifts up your head and he says, look at me. I'm your shield. And then David says, he's my glory and he's he's the one who lifts my head. David's not going to lose his glory even though he may lose his kingdom. Okay? You're not going to lose his glory and that's the one thing you get to keep. Everything else is negotiable. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. God listens. The fervent, faithful prayers of a righteous man accomplish great things. And and here's what David's doing. Our circumstances, he's looking at his circumstances in the light of the Lord, as opposed to looking at the Lord through his circumstances. If you look at the Lord through your circumstances, life's miserable. But if you look at your circumstances through the Lord, they become small and insignificant. And then he says, I lay down and slept. Would you? Wait a minute. What? Any minute, there's going to be an army coming to kill him. He's old. His concubines have all been violated. His best friend is a rebelled. His son's against him. His kingdom's imploding. And he goes to sleep. There's some folks in this room that you haven't had a good night's sleep in a while, and you need to turn off Fox News and go to bed. I mean, serious, your worrying has done nothing for the cause. Just turn off the television and get in the Word. Hold to His promises. Rejoice in the glory that He's bestowed upon you. And then He says, I awoke, and the Lord sustained me. (laughs) Nothing like a good night's rest. 
says, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. It doesn't matter. Lord, I'm resolved. If I have you, that's all I need, and you are in charge of the outcome, I'm just called to be faithful. And if 10,000 people want to come against me, Lord, that's your problem, not mine. And I just want to thank you for a really good night's sleep last night. Arise, O Lord, save me. Oh, my God. It's interesting because it comes flooding back in again, that little fear. And then he immediately says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. And what he's saying is this is what God is going to do, and this is what he's done in the past. And he remembers God's promises. And then look at this. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then stop here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Stop here. Watch. Your blessing is upon your people. Folks, you're in this for others. People are counting on us. People who don't even realize they're counting on us. And we're the ones who cry out and declare that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we will stand true to that fact. A missionary is someone who goes where he's not loved but deeply needed and leaves when he's loved and no longer needed. And you're going to be living and dying for people who don't give a rip about you. But you're going to do it as a blessing upon the people. I want to close in this portion of Psalm 3 with this thought that David sang this psalm. You know what happened? Ahithophel hung himself. It said that God thwarted. It says this, God thwarted the counsel of Ahithophel. God stopped the counsel of Ahithophel. God interceded on behalf of David's prayers and shut down the counsel of Ahithophel so that Absalom didn't listen. Went all the way to the White House, his prayer. Thwarted the counsel of Ahithophel, God did. As David prayed, God did. Shut it down. Ahithophel knew, I can't beat this guy. He's got God on his side. I know it. He got on his donkey and he rode home. He put his house in order, paid his bills, electric bill, water bill, and then hung himself. Paid off the mortgage. And then I, I, I have to say this. Everyone in this room is a sinner. And when you go through a time like this, like David, you start thinking, did I bring this on myself? You start to search your heart and you realize, I am a sinner. And David understood a secret about the Lord. When we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. And, and let me share this with you. David, at this point in Psalm 3, David was a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. And he had done two sins for, the, for which there was no sacrifice in all of Israel. The only, the only recourse was death. Okay? Hello? That's a, that's a rotten human being. Don't elevate David too highly. He was a murderer and a liar, right? And an adulterer, yeah? Okay? Ahithophel served David all of his life faithfully. Now, here's the part that it stuns me. We're getting what we deserve. Do you know that? We're getting what we deserve. And David said, God, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. And God heard the prayers of David. 
Ahithophel took matters into his own hands. He had never done anything wrong before, but he decided to go against David. Now here, check this out. This is the, this is the kicker. Ahithophel waited for 15 years to kill David. Ahithophel was waiting for the opportunity to destroy David's kingdom. Ahithophel was a poser, and they're in the body of Christ, and they've all got anger, and they're waiting to strike. You see, Ahithophel, Ahithophel was the father of Eliam. Eliam, if you see in 2 Samuel 23, verse 34, was, Dave, was uh, one of David's mighty men. And Ahithophel was the father of Eliam. But you also find in Second uh, Samuel 17 that Eliam was the father of Bathsheba. So Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And Ahithophel for 15 years thought to himself, you murdered my grandson-in-law, David. You humiliated my family by committing adultery with my granddaughter. You slept with her in, in, in the knowledge of all in the palace. You've humiliated me. And I'm going to destroy you someday. And you grow up in the church and you got, did, you, did somebody hurt you in the church? Did the, did they? And so you're going you're gonna to get them back? If that's your goal, you're going to be hanging and your life is going to be worthless because you don't mess with the bride of God. This is His bride. You need to understand a secret about the Lord. He demands forgiveness from his children. He does not accept unforgiveness in the life of his kids ever. Ever. You're embittered? Get over it. See how it works? We've got to stay together. Guess who survived that day? It wasn't Ahithophel, it wasn't Absalom. It was old man David and the handful of weak leftovers. And I'm thinking this room is doing a lot better than David was doing, right? So that's Psalm 3. David knew God would win and he did. And then the last word in Psalm 3, look at verse 8, last word. You see it? Selah. Selah. Meditate on that. Put, put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right? Sorry, it's just a reference to some of the younger culture there, I guess. All right, Psalm 4, let's go. We got, we got 25 minutes. Psalm 4, this is a Psalm of David, a safety, the safety of the faithful. Hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress and have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Where does our righteousness come from? It's imputed to us. 
We're not righteous. It's not what we've done. It's what he's done for us. And he's, he's imputed. He's put his righteousness on our account. So when we stand before the Father, even though we've had a miserable day and we've sinned a lot during the day, when we stand before the Father, we have access to his throne of grace uh, and to ask for his mercy in a time of need. And David understood this in that first, that first verse of the psalm. Hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. God's listening. And what David is saying is, if you're having struggles and you're having distress, let's start talking to God. We're really going to start developing prayer in this fellowship in a greater capacity, and you're going to see the need for it. And then verse 2, David says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? He's saying, you've slandered me, and you're seeking falsehood, and, and all the things that you're pursuing are worthless. And then he says, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. I'm godly and I'm righteous, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ has done. And the fervent, faithful prayers of a righteous man accomplish great things, and God ordains the steps of the righteous. And, and that's the beauty of it. Do you understand who it is you're talking to when you pray? David gets it. And if you want to sing it, sing it. But it is a prayer. And all these people are saying stuff about him. I was going to use another word. And, and, and he's, he's totally resting in it. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. It's all right to be angry. But let me tell you something about anger. When the Bible says be angry and do not sin, I'll tell you how you sin when you're angry. It's really simple. Here's how you sin when you're angry. And the Bible says be angry but don't sin. And here's how you sin when you're angry. You open your mouth. Okay? The only person you're opening your mouth to when you're angry is the Lord. Amen? He'll change all kinds of things. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Okay, what does that mean? That means calm down. Calm down. Or, or as we learned on Sunday, stop it. All right? Don't ruminate on it. Just... just meditate within your heart. What does meditate mean? It means focus on the things of the Lord. What is true, what is right, what is lovely, what is just. Just focus on that. Calm down. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. God will speak to you. I was talking to a brother today who said, I was praying in my morning devotion. Lord, show me something I need to do. I went and did it. God will show you a sacrifice of righteousness. You need to get that corrected. Go and resolve it. And you do that. And you put your trust in the Lord. You do it no matter how hard it is to do. There are many who will say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You're going to be around Christians who are going, oh my God, the sky's falling, it's awful, and you don't understand, Pastor. I know you're going to say, just go and pray, and I know you're going to say, open the word and read, and I know, and I know. No, you don't. You have no idea because you're whining and you've never done it. You wouldn't say that if you've done it. Open the word. Meditate on it. Take it for face value. Rest in it. Pray until something happens. Have you ever done that? I didn't say whine until something happens. What's that? Okay, amen. Pray until something happens. Many are going to say, who shows any good? And he says, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I got to tell you, there's more joy with a cup of coffee in the Bible than there is on a vacation on the prettiest islands in Fiji. If you do it right. 
Now, there's sometimes you just got to tweak it, you know, because you're struggling. But the, the beauty of it is there's always refreshment in the presence of the Lord, always. And then I want to talk to you before I read verse 8. Look at me, if you would. Come to me, all you are burdened, heavy laden. I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. All of you have prescription medications that are lining your bathroom shelves, trying to get sleep. You have some to put you to sleep, some to wake you up, some to continue through the course of the day. Those of you who need your rest, I'm going to give you a sleeping pill tonight. It's going to be a lovely one. You'll have a beautiful night's sleep. The prescription that I write for you is Psalm 4, verse 8. I will lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. No, nobody's, nobody's coming after you. God's got it. Nobody's coming after you. The, the, the dreams, the beautiful thing, if, if the dreams wake you up, this is one of my favorites, before you go to bed, just pray and say, Lord, would you be Lord of my dreams? And in the middle of that recurring whatever nightmare, whatever you want to call it, would you just show up and shut them down? Would you just show up and just start beating the tar out of that one recurring <laughs> thing? And he will. He'll come in. He'll be Lord of your dreams. We, we used to pray that over our kids. It's powerful. He's Lord of all. You meditate on him. You rest in him. You read his word. And then you go to sleep. And you rest. You rest. There's no addiction necessary in this realm. It's delightful. So, Psalm 4, sleep medication. Put that where it will help. Psalm 5, let's go. Ready? Everyone okay? Any questions so far? All right. Let's ride now. Let's get going a little bit faster. A prayer for guidance, the chief musician with flutes this time. Hmm. Don't know why they added that, but it's important, okay? Because they have flutes. Let's, in, let's just kind of meditate and envision flutes. Strange instrument, not my favorite. My wife played it, and that's why I like it a little bit more now. Uh, but it's... <laughs> She gave it up. She agreed with me. <laughs> Fucky. All right. Psalm 5. This is a beautiful. We've even put it to me. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. Right? Isn't that pretty? It's a great way to memorize verses. And, and if you, you hear that, give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. This is, this is David's prescription for a really cool, quiet time. This is, this is how to spend your mornings and your evenings with the Lord. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Meditation is like a cow that, you know, I've, I've told you this before, where he's chewing his cud and it never looks like he bends down to eat anymore. He's just chewing the same stuff. And then he stops for a little bit and then he's chewing it again. And you're like, I didn't see him get any more. What he's doing is he's, he's chewing it. He's got a bunch of stomachs, seven, I think. Swallows it. And then brings it back up. And then down it goes to the next stomach. It goes all the way through the set. And then by the time it comes out, you know, you can mortar and bricks with it. It's just worthless because all the nutrients have been... 
just sucked out of it. And that's the idea of, of ruminating or meditating. He just, just twisted around in your mind these beautiful verses and, and focus on them. And, and then the Lord starts to just minister to your heart. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you will I pray. Now, now let's stop for a minute. Give heed to the voice of my cry. Give heed to the voice of my cry. Why do we cry? It hurts, yeah. We want to be heard. It's a release. We're sad. Isn't it nice when someone comes to comfort us when we cry? And sometimes when children cry, they cry for someone bigger to come and help, right? It's a cry for help. Isn't that what we, we look at? And, and how does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven. Let's stop there. Hallowed means separated, totally unlike anyone else. Hallowed be thy name. So let's just begin. The Lord says, when you pray, and he taught this to the disciples not once but twice, and, and, and it's powerful. It's a model for prayer. And he says, this is how you begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right. I want you to know who you're talking to. Yeah, he's daddy. He's, he's Abba. He's Papa. But he's also God. He's in heaven. You're not. He's hallowed, unlike anything you could ever imagine. Yes, in one sense, there's an intimacy. In another sense, you don't have a clue who you're talking to. He's huge. (laughs) Scary. But loving. Right? And so when David says, give heed to my voice, the voice of my cry, he says, my king and my God. I'm not just crying on reality TV for an audience, I'm crying to God. And I'm not just going to cry. Listen, it's all great and everything to emote your feelings. I just need to, I just need to vent. Good. I'm glad. Now pray. No, I just need someone to talk to. Okay, good. But now let's talk to God. My job as a pastor, listen. Oh, great. Now let's take it back to the Lord. But no, don't you have like a couch I could lie on and some help books or something? I have something way better. I have God. (laughs) My voice you shall hear in the morning. Does God hear you in the morning or are you kind of busy? Your feet hit the floor and you got Fox News on, you're checking your... I mean, listen, I know on my phone, if I pick my phone up first, the rest of the day's shot. I've been doing that too much lately. I know that feeling. You start your day with the Lord. Amen? My voice you'll hear in the morning, O Lord, and in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. You know what? Your outlook always improves when you look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. Falsehood, those are slanderers. David was getting torn apart by gossip and slander. And he just says, God, you're going to destroy those who speak falsehood. I don't have to lose sleep worrying about them. He says, um, the, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. You know what it doesn't say? I will watch Hannity. 
come on. I will listen to talk radio. I like doing all that. But what I'm saying is, David understands that the answer to all the struggles and all the deception and all those who are bloodthirsty is to come into the house of the Lord in the multitude of his mercy and worship the Lord. Don't worship television or talk radio or politics. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction, and their throat is an open tomb, and they flatter with their tongues. You know the difference between flattery and gossip? Gossip is what you'd say uh, behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face, and flattery is what you'd say to their face that you wouldn't say behind their back. They're both evil. You know, and flattery. Oh, you're, I, just, I just love the way you dress. It's just awesome. And uh, just the combination of the two and then behind their back. Oh, my God, you see what they were wearing? It was ridiculous. Okay? Don't do it. Amen? He says, God, pronounce them guilty. Verse 10. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Listen. The fight is not against us and them. The fight is against them and God. David understood it against Goliath, and we need to grasp it too. Okay? And nobody wins when they fight God. Lay it out, pray for it, ask God to cover it, and go to bed. He says, but let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. Amen? All right. Do you want to do another one? Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, I guess so. Savers. When am I supposed to say no? I mean, I'm trapped here. It's like pummeling me with endless verses. I just want to go to sleep. I've read Psalm 4. I'm tired. Okay, quickly, Psalm 6. To the chief musicians with stringed instrument on an eight-stringed harp. Hmm. Don't know what that means. Don't really care. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. And he says, for in death there is no remembrance of you, and in the grave who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim, and I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief, and it grows old because of my, all my enemies. Stop for a minute. Who's one of the greatest enemies he's facing? Himself. Yeah, I, I've made a mess here, Lord. I, I've really screwed this up. And my enemies are coming against me, so I've got their accusations, and I've got my own failures, and it's all in the melting pot of misery. And I, I, I'm just saying, God, please, I deserve a rebuke. Um, I, I deserve a chastening. Uh, I deserve you to wipe me off the face of the earth, but all I can say, God, is have mercy on me. David grasped that. If we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. If we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. If we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. Tell him the truth. Agree with him. It's sin. This is what I did, Lord. And then say, I'm open to do whatever you'll have me do to correct it. Oh, 
That's not a lot of fun because he asks you sometimes to do stuff you don't, don't want to do. Like tell the congregation that you dip in front of everybody and have them all think about it. One guy actually said, you know, I think it's kind of manly you're dipping. But I just thought I'd share that. So, no, no. Bing, okay. But the idea is he cries out to God and he says, save me for your mercy's sake. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And, and mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is getting, not getting what we deserve. And he's saying, for your mercy's sake, God, save me. And he said, you know, I, I will, I will I, if I'm dead, there's nothing I can do. You can wipe me off the face of the earth, but if, you, if your kindness will lead me to repentance, I will sing your praises. I'm weary in my groaning, and I've been crying too long. I just, I, I'm so exhausted, I don't even know what to do at this point. My eyes waste away, and, and I grow old, and all my enemies are surrounding me. And then all of a sudden, this is so cool. At, at this point, it's like he opens up a can of Popeye spinach and downs it. Verse 8, he says, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Dun, da, da, da. He just pulls his buffoon, and he's sin bad. And he's just strong, he's hulky and stuff. And he just, he just starts, he says, the Lord has heard my supplication, the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed, be greatly troubled, and let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Ah! That's a cool song, I like that song. I probably, that was a, that's a fun song. All right, we'll close with that. I'll do seven next week. Although I do want you to, okay, come on, let's do it. Come on, we'll do it. Let's do it. Come on, I know you guys are excited. Meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. This was awful. Uh, God delivered David from his enemies, but this is what happened. He says, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Right? Here it is. You want to know where it was? Okay. You're memorizing scripture. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there's none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there's any iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him uh, who is at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor to the dust. What David is saying is, search me, O God, see if there's any wicked way in me. I want to resolve it. I want to be right with you. If I'm right with you, I'm doing great. Folks, that's all you got to concern yourself with is being right with the Lord. He'll work everything else out. It's real simple. And then he says, uh, and there's that Selah there. It's a great one to meditate on. Verse 6, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you for their sake. Therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within them. He's just saying, Lord, it's all out there. I, I'm willing. You can, you can destroy me, destroy them, but... If I'm the problem, kill me. I just, I just want to get this right. It seems to me they're the problem, but if there's a problem in me, you tell me, I'll make it right. But if you want to get rid of me, I'm good with that too. But the Lord gives, the Lord takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're just cool, God. And I'm good with whatever you decide. Even if it's me going away, I'm good with it. Amen? All right. Most of us pray, God, would you just make them go away? Because they make my life so miserable. And I, I just, I'm not happy when they're around. And I want it to be about me. Because you're the cosmic genie in the sky. And you're supposed to make me happy. So, I just got to test the heart. Okay, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, uh, but establish the just for the righteous God. Test the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. 
God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. And he's not like, oh, just let it go. No. He, he's not happy. He's not happy. He's coming back to open up a big can of Jesus. He's not happy. Not happy at all. He's going he's gonna to get you. So, if he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death, and he makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. And then this is what we close with tonight. No, yes, yeah, let's close with this. Okay. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Listen, rough day for all of us. We close the night by saying, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Hey, he's got all the bows fashioned and the arrows and he's upset and he's got it under control. And our job right now is not to whine. Our job is to worship. God is still on the throne. Relax. Yeah, he'll have the last word. Amen? Everybody okay? Questions tonight? Three minutes? Better, amen. Three minutes? Any questions we can answer? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a bad day. For having one of the little ones causing one of these little ones to stumble would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the deepest ocean. You're you're given authority to rule from a bench and you you violate that before God Almighty. It is a heavy load. God have mercy on them. You know why I ask for that? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I need mercy. Well, remember the Psalms. David understood slander, right? We're not immune to it. Sticks and stones break my bones. Well, remember this. It's not an issue of homosexuality. It's an issue of religious freedom. And, and that's, that's the argument. It's not an issue of homosexuality. It's an issue of religious freedom. Okay, we're we got twenty seconds, Agnes.
Yeah. Yeah, we've we've watched that in Sweden, and it's coming here. It's it's just it's a matter that it's religious freedom, and we've now legislated ourselves out of the First Amendment. No, judicial fiat. Real quick. Indignation. Uh, well, I'll tell you what ind- indignation is. I, I am sick and tired of 70 million babies dead in America, and, and we haven't done squat about it. That makes me angry. It makes me angry. Yes, Sally. This is it. I'm not doing another person. Yeah, judicial fiat. Good word. Did everybody hear that? Yeah, they removed the ballot box. Yeah, Lord, we we thank you that He who's in us is greater than He who's in the world. And and though the enemies of God rage, you have the final word, and you're in complete control, and you use this together for good. So you're even working in our lives, and none of it's shocking. And Satan isn't your equal in evil. Uh, you have no equal. You are, you are our Father in heaven who is hallowed. And there's nothing like, no one like you, no equal. You are a self-sustaining, self-existent being. Everyone else is created. And so, Lord, even Satan, who, who people declare to be so powerful, one angel puts him into a, a dungeon, and we don't even know what the angel's name is, probably Norman. <laughs> Lord, you speak the word, and it's over. But you're allowing these things to occur to test the hearts of your people. And I pray that we come forth as refined metal, worthy of your service and of your kingdom. Lord, like you did with David, we just watch as he just cries out, Lord, search me. Take away whatever it is. I don't want to be the problem. I want to be the solution. So God, help us. And Lord, I pray encouragement tonight upon the body of Christ across this nation, across the world. This isn't devastating. You are in control. End of story. And we praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen? God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Get excited. Everything's cool.